Welcome to What the Foster, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to the voiceless. This season, we're focusing on the often unheard and invisible population of current and former youth in foster care. What the Foster is produced by Umbrella, a New Jersey foster care nonprofit. I'm your host, Frank. This week, we'll continue Stephanie's story. When we last left her, Stephanie had been placed in a group home next to a juvenile detention center. In this episode, Stephanie will give us a little insight into what it's like to live in such a group home and how she managed to move from her own foster care difficulties to a successful career in public relations. This is part two of Stephanie's story. Uh, Day in a life. So I would say the shelter operated more as a group home. So you had a common space. You had... um, like a staff facility which had like a wall so sometimes if they want to talk to you they talk through to a wall <laughs> but they do they, they there are staff members around 24 7 in a common space behind a wall uh, glass wall i should say um where they have to you know complete paperwork and whatnot and it's also their office and then you have um uh, uh, uh and it's you know you have you need to have security to go in there uh, uh, what is it, the bedrooms, spaces. So I shared a room, you always share a room with someone else, I'm sorry, I'm like tapping the no, mic. No, it's okay. Um, share a room with one more person. Uh, you wake up at a certain hour, um, and every night, I, I think by the hour, there's a staff member coming into your room, because they have to, uh, what is it? swipe their card just okay. for security reasons. Make sure that you're in the room because there have been many instances where people ran from the shelter. Even with the heightened security, they somehow escaped. Although we've described some of the restrictions that youth may face when placed into a group home, Stephanie enlightened us to exactly how her group home functioned. So you wake up, uh, you get breakfast, uh, and breakfast, well meals, were served across the street. So we would have to walk to the juvenile detention center, walk to jail to eat. So we were eating jail food. You get the same thing every day. Maybe um, on certain occasions, you'll get like a little surprise, but you'll get a little portion of salad, milk or juice. You know, I don't even remember. It was just so bland. It was just Whatever you see on TV, jail food, that's what you're getting. So a little maybe cornbread or or bread on the side. I don't know, mashed potato or rice, and that's it. And like, um, it was just that. So breakfast, lunch, and dinner served across the street. The good thing is that with the shelter, you received stipends, and so you can go out and buy. Or if you had families visiting you, they could bring you food. So some people did have snacks where they could store in the fridge and eat at a later time. Imagine yourself in the middle of high school, and suddenly you go from a traditional home to this environment. Stephanie continued. But my caseworker visited, and uh, luckily some of my roommates had snacks, so you know I made friends, like as I mentioned, <laughs> easily. So that came in handy. Um, but yeah, you wake up, you eat, uh, you go to school. Uh, most. No, all of the residents there were homeschooled. I was the only one that was allowed to attend my high school. Um, And I pleaded, uh, uh, and I think my mom pleaded too, made made a case for my caseworker to ask for the judge to keep me in school because I was making good, good grades. As we've mentioned in previous episodes, 
Removal from your school or community can result in up to six months of lost education. I was a junior at that time. Actually, sophomore going into my junior year. Sophomore going into my junior year. And so um, I had a driver pick me up early in the morning from North Brunswick, transport me to Old Bridge. That lasted for about a month. Um, but yeah, after school, I would come home, mingle with the rest of the roommates. Um, I think uh, during the days, we would have like different ministries. And by the way, I want to give a shout out to organizations and nonprofits who um, do amazing ministry and work uh, for kids in transition because during those periods we had organizations come in and you know give us like gifts whether it was in the form of like CD <laughs> that tells you how long ago it was yeah <laughs> giving you a CD giving you DVDs or giving you just some type of like I don't know like a, a little basket and just spending time with you spending time with you to build life skills or just talk about different things and so we had certain nonprofits who were approved come in and, and do activities with us because it can be very stagnant and very stale at times so we did that sometimes we would be transported to the Princeton Public Library uh, which was awesome and we would be able to access the internet and at that time folks had MySpace profiles so I am dating myself back MySpace Facebook wasn't there yet uh, so that was pre 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 Facebook. We had my space. Yeah, <laughs> streaming songs. She, that play when you yeah, on, yeah, that? yeah, yeah. So that was nice. And yeah, that was every day was basically the same thing. Although Stephanie spoke of the contributions of these other organizations in such glowing terms, it was clear that life in the group home was different from what she had experienced before. We were wondering how she coped. You cope. You, it's almost like, and I can imagine when you, when people land in um, regimented institution like prison, there's a order, there's a particular day-to-day um, -day life. So you accommodate. Because if you don't, you're going to have a horrible time um, just managing through it. And, and not to make the shelter sound like it was prison or right, anything. No, yeah. it, it was, but it was um, facilitated, and because you have a whole bunch of kids in there, teenagers, I mean, age range is vast. You have eight-year-olds to like 18-year-olds in there. So you wanna make sure that everybody is safe right. and also getting the time that they need to develop, right? So um, yeah, there was definitely a, a schedule that you had to follow. Um, Obviously, the severe regimen was not normal for Stephanie. But Stephanie always seems to be thinking on the bright side. Instead of focusing on the negatives, she took a deep interest in those around her. And then I, they became your family, because that's all you have. And then when you sit there and you hear the stories of kids who've been there for similar or um, situations, and you realize that your situation is nothing compared to what they've lived through, you realize that you, you're really blessed. Um, I met a young lady who had gone through just several rapes, um, and, yeah, rape incidents from just different family members, and I'm just like, goodness gracious, like, I'm just wondering at that point where she is in her psyche, and if she's being taken care of, you know, other 
individuals who whatever happened to them growing up, they've just become so angry with the world that they keep running with the wrong crowd and run-ins with the law and that's why they ended up in jail. My roommate, so one of my ex-roommates actually had just been released from jail and everyone was like super scared of her because she had a hard exterior. But she was really, really nice. You know, I remember her name, Danielle. She was super nice, super sweet. Hers was just don't bother me and I won't bother you. And I think it was a, her coping mechanism, right? She, she was very reserved. She wouldn't really bother anybody unless you gave her a reason. If you picked on her, she will right, fight back. Yeah. But I'm like, that, but that's the norm. So why is she being demonized? Not demonized, but it's almost like because of her stint in prison for whatever, I don't know why she went to jail, right? right? Juvenile detention center. But now she, she, it's on her record. And now it's the whole idea of, kids in foster care are bad or you know have something against them and it, it's absolutely not it, I think that population is oftentimes misunderstood and the biggest support anybody can give kids in foster care is non-judgment um, a judgment-free zone for them to be themselves and for them to come into their own and really try to understand well what is your journey what is your story when and however they're ready to tell that story. Her group home stay was not forever. We asked her how long she stayed at the group home before her next placement. Uh, that's a good question. I remember it was the start of my junior year, maybe from October till, I think I spent Christmas there. This was especially rough for Stephanie. Yeah, so Christmas up until my family home was no longer happy. It was a happy time for us. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, my mom is like the big, she is like the typical mom that would, on Christmas days, like she has the whole place decked out, decorated, cookies, singing songs. Like she has her Christmas list, song list ready. And so she very much, you know, it, it was Christmas. It was you know, you notice that it was Christmas, so being away from home for the first time felt alone. Right. It felt alone, um, but I was around, surrounded by people who were going through similar experiences like me. And the good thing with the shelter is, so some folks who were, were able to go back home, um, you know, depending on their family dynamic, they were able to spend Christmas home, but I, that wasn't the case for me, so I spent it with the folks at the shelter. Right. and. We got gifts uh, donated by organizations, as I mentioned, who, um, you know, their focus was on uh, foster care. And so, you know, thank God for those organizations. Catholic Charities offered to help her with an independent living program. Independent living programs can be critical in ensuring the success of youth who age out of care. Here's how Stephanie describes the independent living program that she was a part of. After the shelter, I luckily found a placement in the independent living program in Phillipsburg, and that was spearheaded by Catholic Charities, um, unfortunately. And independent living um, is an opportunity, an option for teenagers or um, youth living in foster care who do not want to go the traditional route and live with a foster care parent, you know, live on their own, obviously supervised, but not as um, 
heavily supervised as like a group home right. and really develop life skills and develop habits to becoming a self-sufficient adult. So I ended up in Phillipsburg, um, loved every moment of it. Uh, the staff there were friendly, you know, we got along well. Um, I got along with my roommate well. She was barely there because she had a car. But, you know, on the days that we were together, you know, we, we shared our love for, or she introduced me to Law and Order and Monk, so oh I will gosh. forever be grateful to her for that. Yeah, so um, Phillipsburg is a very small town. It's in West Jersey. It's like the last exit before you reach PA, East, East and PA. So the town itself, small. I mean, I could walk to school. It was like a 30-minute walk. Um, or you could actually, they had local bus systems there too. Not school buses, but the town buses. Um, I could take the bus to school as well. Um, so I got around pretty fairly quickly. One crucial facet of the independent living program that Stephanie really enjoyed was the ability to have her own job. Um, and I had to get a job. So part of the independent living contract is you have to get a job because you have to pay rent. And I'm going to use pay rent loosely, air quotes, <laughs> because you're only putting aside 30% of your uh, pay stub, monthly pay stub towards rent. And it's really covered by the state, right? right. Department of Children and Family Services covered most of your uh, room and board at, living, at the living, uh, independent living program. But it's all part of teaching you that when you get a paycheck, some of it has to go towards your living expenses. Right. And, and, you know, with that 30% that, that was stored away, I would get all that money back. So when I was leaving, I got all of the money that I saved, right. so which is awesome for college. So I got a job at Rite Aid, well, actually Eckerd's. Eckerd's. So I'm wow. really dating myself back. So Eckerd's was one of the pharmacy retail chains before it got bought by Rite Aid, right. yep. and I was a cashier. Uh, this was like my third job um, at this point. I was like, what, 17? And yeah, and I was there for a year, and I, I had a job, I had school. I loved working. Wow. I loved working. I was a great worker. I don't know. It's just, and part of it is my upbringing. Um, we were taught the value of having a good work ethic. Uh, so, you know, chores, doing chores at home is like the best introduction to building work ethic. And my mom was diligent in making sure that we weren't lazy, uh, or I wasn't lazy. So I loved work, and I'm working, and I'm getting paid. Chores were free. Up to this point, Stephanie has remained incredibly positive with her story. So we were curious about some of the difficulties that she faced. Like I said, I get along with people well, so I really didn't have any uh, bad experiences. The only thing that I wish I knew about before, and this is something that I'm always developing on, is time management. So I had a horrible time management, and unfortunately, actually fortunately, because I was leaving Eckerd's or Rite Aid for a better opportunity, job opportunity, at the Vision Center in Walmart. How about that? Uh, I got to wear those white lab coats. Um, I was late a lot. So that was part of my life skills development. Because I was coming from school, so from school I didn't time myself to get to work, and so I would be five, 10 minutes late. Although many of us can relate to having difficulties with time management, life skills development is critical for youth in care. But because of her removal, time management wouldn't be the only area where Stephanie would struggle. 
Actually, my grades did slip one. A little bit. Well, it was during the time of the not so happy home. Mm -hmm. So I went from an AB average student to like C, D. Like I had my first C and <laughs> I just, what's going on? Or was it more like an F? I don't even remember. But even when her grades slipped, the importance of college was never lost on Stephanie. College has always been an goal. It was my escape, my one-way ticket to a better life. Um, so I always knew, and even parents, you know, they drilled it down, like, you have to go to college. So I knew I wanted to go to college. It was a matter of how, um, because I no longer had the parental guide. But I realized that I mean, being a, 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 what is it, a ward of the state has so many benefits. And unfortunately, Diaphysics with DCPMP gets a bad rap. The state offers a number of programs to help kids just like Stephanie. And Stephanie made sure to take advantage of every opportunity. I want folks to know that when you are a ward of the court, you are entitled to scholarships. You are entitled to so many benefits um, just because the state is your parent, <laughs> uh, for lack of, you know, actually that is the correct no, term, yeah. And um, so I knew I would have the resources available to me and the, my caseworker, you know, guided me in different directions at that time. My first caseworker guided me in different directions in terms of what I could do and FAFS was definitely one of the uh, organizations that got introduced to me. At the time this interview was recorded, Umbrella was known as Foster and Adoptive Family Services, FAFS. As we mentioned at the top of our show, Umbrella is a New Jersey foster care nonprofit. We provide programs and services to help foster parents and foster youth throughout the state of New Jersey in exactly the ways that Stephanie was looking for. Specifically, Stephanie took advantage of our New Jersey Foster Care Scholars Program. This program helps hundreds of eligible youth across the state to find money and resources to help them pursue post-secondary education. And college would be a big element in fulfilling Stephanie's dreams. I wanted to become a diplomat. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to represent the country that has given me so much in a good light. Um, you know, share the great things that the State Department, you know, America is doing and, and represent America on a national level, or inter, excuse me, international level um, in terms of uh, foreign relations. Okay. It's interesting, so on my plane, coming here, when we immigrated on that plane right here, I'll never forget, I cried. I'm like, I don't want to leave Germany. Right. I don't want to come to America. America's great, because you see, New I mean, folks know America, when people hear of America, they think of New York, of New York City, State Statue of Liberty, um, you know, the, the land of opportunity. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm perfectly happy in Germany. And, you know, childhood memories, the language, the culture. Yeah, so it, it was definitely a sad day for me. But once I got here and once all of this happened, I think, to because it was such an emotional, vulnerable moment and it happened here, there is that vulnerability, that vulnerable connection to America where I found myself. It's almost like, when I think about it, not to be theatrical, a phoenix, a phoenix rising, rising from the ashes. It's like, in America, I got to build myself because all these years, moving back forth from Germany and Ghana, it was the decision of my mom. So once I got into independent living, my mom actually moved back to Europe because she was just like, I am not happy here. If Stephanie was to rise, 
she would have to do so without her parents. My mom and my stepfather went through anger management, so they did all of the prerequisites because DCPMP does work hard to keep families together. They um, followed all the prerequisites and requirements ordained by the state for them to get their kids back. So one of them were going through anger management courses and whatnot, and my parents, I think my stepfather was the only one that completed it because my mom um, at that time, she was going also um, going through depression. And so it was hard for her, very, very hard for her. And I know she blamed herself a lot for a lot of things. So she actually moved back to Europe. Yeah, no family here, yeah. And so my, my, my father was able to get the kids back. Um, and I think my mom came back here again and completed the requirements as necessary. And so at some point, she and my stepfather made amends, you know, moved back in and, you know, were taking care of the, the kids together. But my mom, then took the kids and they're now in England. So my mom, my brother and sister are now in England now. Uh, my brother, um, who at that age was six, seven, so he remembers a lot. My little sister, not so much, because she was fairly young, a toddler at that time. He is doing exceptionally well. He's studying chemical engineering wow. in England at Ashton University. And right now as we speak, he's in Singapore doing a study abroad program. And I think he, and I asked him, I'm like, well, are you nervous, anxious living in another country? He's like, no. I mean, given us moving around so much right. growing up, he, he's fine. And, and he's just so grounded and level-headed. And it's just amazing how a tragedy or a tragic experience can really teach you so much about life. In fact, Stephanie was so pleased with her new direction that she made an incredible decision. And my mom was like, well, are you coming back to your, I'm like, no, I think I like it here. I'm gonna finish college here. And so I, it was, I made the decision to stay. So by doing that, I got to build my own path and take ownership of my life, you know, really, instead of leaving my life in the hands of others. For Stephanie, without parents or other connections, her counselor from Catholic Charities was an invaluable support. Again, the benefit of being an independent living program and uh, being a, uh, a ward of the state. So for at Catholic Charities, they had counselors. So they would set you up with counselors specifically for college preparation. So I had a college prep counselor who would take me on tours for college visitation because I didn't have a parent. So uh, she was like my go-to person and we had fun. I mean, we visited a few colleges. Um, uh, and in high school, you obviously sit with your guidance counselor to talk about different college options that you have. So I felt exposed, which was good. My, I felt exposed about my options. The only thing that I wished, I don't know, uh, I would have taken more advantage of is the state schools, like the different right. mini state schools in Jersey. I think I only visited, I didn't even visit, did I visit Ryder College? I did, but I think after I got accepted. Rutgers, I think, oh, William Patterson. I fell in love with William Patterson's yeah, well, college. Uh, campus, beautiful. Yeah. Montclair. Once again, we see that a single supportive adult can really make a difference in the lives of these youth. Yes, so yeah. she was more proactive than me, so I don't want to take all the credit. She was like, hey, Stephanie, what do you want to do? What are your options? What is what I can do? This is what we can do. So we started a college pro process, planning process at the end of my junior year, um, visiting 
colleges and also starting the application. So she would review my essays. And then I also had my guidance counselors, I think, because they, they also help review your, um, your essays as well, right? right. Um, so I guess for me, the benefit was having that dedicated yeah. counselor for me, who I didn't, I didn't have to share her with 30 other students, like a guidance counselor, a normal high school guidance counselor would have to. So that was great. She answered all my questions, financial aid questions. She took care of that. And being a ward of the state, you know, that it was fairly easy when it came time to, hey, do you need uh, your parents' tax, what is it, uh, yeah, records? FAFSA form, yeah. FAFSA form, yeah. I, was, I was set. Yeah, I was set. Okay. And then they, I also made it my business to apply for a whole bunch of scholarships. I, so I applied to 50. For foster youth, it's imperative to apply to as many scholarships as possible. You can also use online search engines like fastweb.com or the College Board Scholarship Search, just to name a few. For Stephanie, a local scholarship would play a critical role in her ability to attend college. Uh, so my high school, Phillipsburg High School, had a booklet of scholarships that they printed out every year, and they just listed random scholarships, local, regional, and national. I applied to several local ones. I got a, the big one, and it was so awesome. So I got honored during the scholarship award night where all of the honor students get recognized and I may not have been an honor student but I walked away with one of the biggest checks that night oh, wow. a $20,000 uh, grant scholarship grant That's and so and it wasn't based on my grades per se mm -hmm. I mean I was a B student at that at that point in my senior year um, you know just taking regular college prep courses that it wasn't in like AP advanced yeah, mm -hmm. yeah level uh, classes, but I got awarded with a $20,000 grant. I was shaking. I was visibly shaken by the whole experience, and I was just really, really grateful. Um, I think for me, gratitude, um, after I got into the foster care system, everything that was handed to me, I was just grateful, because I, I knew that you know, right now I'm on my own, I don't have anyone, and so everything that's given to me is really a gift from strangers, if you look at it. Uh, I was just extremely grateful. Having just earned $20,000 in scholarship money, Stephanie was about to head to college. This is where we'll leave off this week. Next week, we'll see how Stephanie learned to handle the independence of life after foster care and follow her on her journey to become a successful PR professional for Wells Fargo. Now this is normally the point where we provide a trailer of the upcoming episode, but I just wanted to give you a warning that due to a technical difficulty, the quality of audio is somewhat degraded compared to what you've been listening to. So we apologize for the quality, but we really believe that Stephanie's story is too important to just end here. So without further ado, here's a sneak peek of next week's episode of What the Foster. Then last year, I finally forgave myself. I finally forgave myself and, and I, I, I came into that moment that everything that had happened in my life um, it really was isolated um, because I was still blaming myself for a lot of things. Uh, guilt was a reoccurring theme. Oftentimes misunderstanding forgiveness is really for you. And now here's an important Census 2020 PSA. Census 2020 starts on April 1st 
Census counts determine federal funding for foster care, schools, and more. The census is only done every 10 years, so kids who aren't counted in this year's census will miss out on 10 years of resources that they could have had. That's why it's so important to count your foster children and grandchildren who live with you when you complete the census. Census data is confidential by law. You can help make sure all kids are counted by sharing this information in your community. Tell them, we're foster families and we count. This is a message from Umbrella, a foster care nonprofit in New Jersey.